Good afternoon, brothers and sisters. Welcome to the worship service a second time today. We also welcome any visitors who have joined us and those who are joining us on live stream. This afternoon, Reverend Poppy will lead the worship service. Before we begin, let's sing Psalm 81, verse 6. Please rise, brothers and sisters, and let's worship the Lord. As God's people, we confess that our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. Amen. Grace to you and peace from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's now sing a song of praise and thanks to the Lord. We're going to sing together from Psalm 47, the verses 1, 2, and 3.
Let's now make a profession of our faith, and let's do so this afternoon with the words of the Apostles' Creed as is set to music in hymn one. Let's now pray to God and let's ask God for his blessing. Almighty God and Father in heaven, you bring us here again this afternoon in order to worship you. We thank you, Lord, that you have revealed yourself to us. You are the awesome God. You're the one who's created this world and who holds it in his hand. You're the one who has revealed yourself to us as a holy God as someone who's set apart from sin, as someone who's the creator instead of a creature. You revealed yourself as a glorious God, someone who's majestic in power, someone who's set apart from his creation because you are all-knowing, because you are all-powerful, because you are everywhere present. Father, we stand in awe of you, and we give you praise and glory that you are such a great God and that we may be your people. Thank you that you have entered into a relationship with us we don't deserve to, to know you. We don't deserve to have relationship with you. We are those who, who have rebelled against you, and we deserve your wrath and your condemnation. But another part of your glory is that you're a merciful God, and that you're gracious, and that you desire to have relationship with us. We thank you, Lord, that you sent your Son to make that possible. We thank you that you've revealed Christ to us, that we may know him. There's so many people in our world around us who are lost. They don't know you. They don't have a relationship with you. They never believed in you. 
and that we realize what a treasure it is, that we, we may know you and that we may believe. And then we pray, Father, that you would help us to grow in love for you, that we grow in an understanding of who you are and what you've done. And the more we know you, Lord, and the more we will love you. We'll understand how rich it is to be your children and what a treasure it is that we can be in your presence. I want to ask you, Lord, that you would please bless the worship that we offer you today. Help us to, to think of you rightly. Help us to be filled with honor for you, that we love you extravagantly, and that we submit to you. Please give us your Holy Spirit to this end. I also pray, Lord, that you show us mercy that you not hold our sins against us, but that you cleanse us from all the sins that we've committed. Father, we ask that as we open your word this afternoon to consider your glory, to consider what Christ has done for us and, and his power at your right hand, that you would help us to, to see and appreciate and to understand what we have received through Christ and what your attitude towards us is. Please give us the spirit to this end. We also pray, Father, that the, the songs that we sing and the the thank offerings we bring before you, the confession we make and the prayers that we offer, that they may be pleasing in your sight, that they come from wholehearted worship, where we love you with all our hearts. Please do these things, Father, for Jesus' sake we pray. Amen. So this afternoon, brothers and sisters, I can preach God's word to you concerning the ascension of our Lord Jesus Christ into heaven. Christ came down to this earth to, to suffer and to die for us. And after enduring such humiliation, he ascended into heaven and he sat down at God's right hand with authority and with glory. And there's a few passages in the scripture I'd like to read with you concerning that. But what Christ has done for us, first is Philippians 2 and then from 1 John chapter 1. So I invite you to open your Bible with me. We're going to read together from Philippians 2, the first 11 verses. You can find that on page 1165 of your guest Bible. So Philippians chapter 2, starting at verse 1. This is the word of God. So if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Then we turn in our reading to the book of 1 John. We're going to read together from 1 John 1, starting at verse 5, and through to chapter 2, verse 6. You can find that on page 1,210 of your guest Bible. 
So 1 John, chapter 1, starting at verse 5. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him while we walk in the darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him to be a liar, and his word is not in us. My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. By this we may know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. So far, the the reading of God's word. Let's now sing together. We're going to sing a song of of praise to God, also celebrating the, the ascension of Christ into heaven. We'll sing Psalm 68, the verses 1, 7, and 8.
This afternoon I may preach God's word to you concerning the ascension of our Lord Jesus Christ into heaven. We're going to consider what the church has summarized and confessed about this in Lord's Day 18 of the Heidelberg Catechism. You can find it on page 532 of your book of praise. So Lord's Day 18, the first question there asks, what do you confess when you say he ascended into heaven? That Christ, before the eyes of his disciples, was taken up from the earth into heaven, and that he's there for our benefit until he comes again to judge the living and the dead. Is Christ then not with us until the end of the world as he's promised us? Christ is true man and true God. With respect to his human nature, he's no longer on earth. With respect to his divinity, majesty, grace, and spirit, he is never absent from us. But are the two natures in Christ not separated from each other if his human nature is not present wherever his divinity is? Not at all, for his his divinity has no limits and is present everywhere. So it must follow that his divinity is indeed beyond the human nature which he has taken on and nevertheless is within this human nature and remains personally united with it. How does Christ's ascension into heaven benefit us? First, he is our advocate in heaven before his Father. Second, we have our flesh in heaven as a sure pledge that he, our head, will also take us as members up to himself. Third, he sends us his Holy Spirit as a counterpledge, by whose power we seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God, and not the things that are on earth. Then after the proclamation of God's word, we're going to sing together from hymn 40, the verses 1, 2, and 3. Dear brothers and sisters, congregation loved by the Lord Jesus Christ, do you ever think much about God's intentions with this world? At one time, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit sat down and they, they made a decision to create this world. At some point, they, they called this world into existence. Scripture says, Isaiah 40, he stretched out the heavens like a span, span of his hand. There's the universe. He created the world out of water. He separated the water from the land. He made the animals, the birds, the fish, and the people, all the vegetation. Would you ever wonder why he did it? What was he thinking? What was his intention? You know, he didn't do it because he's lonely. Not because he needed us in some way. Now, if it talks about the things that we do for God or the things that we give to God, you know, it says that the whole world is his. So we can't give him anything that doesn't already belong to him. And it's not as if he needed us for relationship, as if he was lonely without us, because the Bible tells us something about the relationships between the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit and it tells us about the beauty of that relationship. 
The Lord's complete in himself. He doesn't need anybody or anything in any way. And yet he still decided to create us. And so why did he do it? Well, the Bible says he did it for his glory. The Lord is a glorious God. He's awesome. He's holy. He's majestic. He's almighty. He's all-knowing. He has power over everything. He's righteous and just. He's loving and merciful. And at some stage, as an act of love, as an act of grace, he decided to, to create this world and to show his glory off, especially to us as people. And his intention in doing so is, is really to bless us. He wants us to know him. He wants us to see his glory. He wants us to share in his glory. And it's such a treasure that he's done that for us because the greatest gift in the world that you could ever receive is the gift of knowing God. It's the gift of relationship with him. It's to understand who he is and what he's done. To love him, to praise him, to glorify him, to live with him. You may know the first question and answer of the Westminster Shorter Catechism. It addresses this very point about our existence. Thus, question, what is the chief end of man? The answer is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. What does it mean to glorify God? Well, the word for glory, literally it has to do with weight. It means that you assign weight to someone or something. That someone has gravitas. If you glorify someone, then, then you recognize that this person is really special. And you honor that person. Has a sense that you fear that person. That you, that you wish to, to praise that person. You know, in our world, we're used to doing that kind of thing. We're used to ascribing glory to different things and to different people. Maybe if I can just think you, or just ask you to think, for example, of your favorite author or your favorite musician, or your favorite athlete, or your favorite team. Well, you know all about that, that person. You know who they are. You know what they've done. You know, as soon as there's another game, then, then you watch the game, and, and afterwards you, you tell everybody else about, about who, who this person is and what they accomplished and how great they are. One of, your, one of the best things is that you get together with everybody else who knows that person, and you share together in that moment. Now, the great sports stadiums, they're filled with people who give glory to their team in that moment when they're able to accomplish great things. Well, to glorify God means that you honor him, that you show, give him weight, that you give your praise to him, that the greatest thing in the world is to know who he is, to understand what he's done. And then you meet together with the rest of his people and you sing his praises and you celebrate who God is, what he's accomplished, and what he's done. Well, you know, when we were first created, then we could glorify God. Adam and Eve, they, they knew God. They walked with him. They talked with him. They saw his glory and majesty face to face, and they were filled with that. But then because of the fall into sin, then they couldn't see God's glory anymore. They couldn't see him face to face. They couldn't come in to the Garden of Eden. They were, they were separated from God. 
And because of sin, their, their mind was darkened. They couldn't understand and comprehend who God is and what God has accomplished in the same way. And even the glory of God in his, in his world has been marred. The world was once a beautiful representation of the glory of God. But the Bible tells us that today it's marred by sin. There's so much degradation, so much violence. There's so many ways in which the creation no longer reflects the glory of God as it once did. It's groaning in travail. Creation also looks forward to the day where it will be liberated. It will be brought back into the presence of God and it will be able to function in the way to glorify God as it was always intended. Well, you know, even though we're sinners, brothers and sisters, it doesn't limit God from showing his glory and from sharing his glory. It's true we can't see him face to face, but the Lord, he designed it in such a way that even through our sin, we're able to, to glorify God in new ways. Because the one thing that stands out as a result of sin is that we get to see his righteousness and his justice and his wrath. And these are glorious aspects of his character. He's a God who hates sin. He's a pure God. He's set apart from sin and from evil. There's no evil in him whatsoever. And part of his glory is that he also needs to punish sin. He can't let sin go unpunished. His nature is such that he's righteous. And it's really in our sin that we see the, the extent of the other part of his character, of his mercy, and of his grace towards us in Jesus Christ. And so he even uses our sin to exemplify and to show off his glory in a far greater way. When Christ came into this world, then he bore the fierce anger of God against all our sins to show us the full extent of God's love. And it's quite striking, the way that Christ did it was through humbling himself. Instead of holding on to his glory, instead of being glorious and coming down to this world with power and authority and with honor and glory, Christ had to come here as a servant. He had to make himself very low. He was deeply humiliated. We read together in Philippians 2, it was so bad that he even suffered death on the cross. He had to be crucified and cursed by God. But then the Bible tells us that after he paid this price, then he received the highest honor. Since he was willing to be so deeply humiliated, the Father gave him the ultimate glory. Christ ascended into heaven, and he sat down at the Father's right hand. And it's in his ascension that the glory of God is truly manifest. The ascension, brothers and sisters, it's all about glory. It's showing the glory of God in his Son, Jesus Christ. And so I preach God's word to you this afternoon with this theme. It's by his ascension, Christ has opened the way to glory. We'll see in the first place that he ascends into glory, and second, that he opens the way for glory. So what happened to Christ at his ascension? It's really quite striking. When you, when you read about what's coming, or when you read the, what Christ says about it, then, then he anticipates what's coming. It was in John 17, we have the, the prayer of our Lord Jesus Christ. He prays this prayer a few hours 
before he's taken away to suffer on the cross. And it's remarkable what he asks for. In the first verses of John 17, he prays to the Father and he says, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you, since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to, those, to all those whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. Christ prayed that his Father would glorify him. I used to have the glory with you, Father, before the world was created. I lived with you in glory. But I had to humble myself, and I did it to glorify you, to accomplish the work that you gave me to do. And now that I've done it, I'm praying to you and I'm asking you that once again you would glorify me. And that's what, Christ do- that's what God does for his son in the ascension. And it's really quite striking that in order to receive the glory, it came through humiliation. Christ had to suffer. But then the Bible tells us that, that he really didn't care about the suffering. Hebrews 2 verse 2 It says that he despised the shame for the joy set before him. He saw the glory that's coming. He anticipated that the time is coming where the Father would invite him into his presence, that the Father would seat him on the throne. And so when he went to this earth and when he had to endure the the shame, the humiliation, then literally he despised it. He looked down on it. He treated it with disdain. It didn't mean anything to him because he knew of the coming glory. Well, Christ, he was glorified. We sang together from Psalm 47. It's a psalm in which we're called to clap our hands and to shout to God God, with loud shouts of joy because God has gone up with a shout at the sound of the trumpet. It's a psalm that celebrates the ascension. Christ has gone up at the sound of the trumpet. The trumpet was sounded and Jesus Christ ascended into heaven. And so Psalm 47 says, you need to sing, sing praises to God, sing to him, sing praises to the Lord. You have to glorify him because he is the great God who has ascended into heaven and who is seated at the right hand of the Father. Another passage that talks about the glory that Christ received, it's Daniel 7. You have the Son of Man who's brought into the presence of the Ancient of Days. And it says of him that he was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. And his dominion is an everlasting dominion which will not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. Well, here it talks about him being given dominion and glory and a kingdom. That's what happened when Christ ascended into heaven. Revelation 5 says, that there are myriads and myriads of angels who are singing with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. Then it says that their voices were joined with the saints. And so this morning, there was a new saint, a brother Hank Huizenga. 
He ascended into glory. He went up, sorry, he was taken up into glory. And he joins his voice with the voice of the saints who are praising God for what Christ has done in dying for our sins and being seated on the throne with authority and honor. Well, the message of the scriptures, brothers and sisters, is that you're invited to share in the glory of God. Christ came to this earth to secure a blessing for you. At one stage, we were able to come into God's presence. We were able to see his glory and to share in that. And now Christ has come to be able to bring us back into God's glory so that we can see him once again, that we can share in that glory of our Father. You know, sometimes we think of, of the ascension that Jesus Christ, he goes away from this world to escape from all the hardships, to get away from all the suffering. Well, Christ says it's the opposite. He says, I don't, I don't leave here to, to get away. It's in John 16, verse 7, he says, it is for your good that I'm going away. I'm going up to the Father for your good. I'm going to prepare a place for you. And I'm going to take you to be with me so that you can see my glory and that you can share in my glory. And so what does he do as the ascended king? Well, the first thing he does is he rules in righteousness and justice. It's really an essential part of, of Christ's glory. There are many people who live in rebellion against him. There's a lot of enemies. There's a lot of people in this world who don't respect Christ and don't live with him. And Christ says that part of his glory is to, to bring a just judgment down on those people. It started with the devil. It's really actually in Lord's Day 19. We get to explore that theme a little bit more. I just want to introduce it briefly here because it kind of sets the context so that we can understand the blessings that we've been given. But it talks about it. that When Christ ascended into heaven, the first thing that he did was that he threw the devil out of heaven. The devil was judged through the work of Jesus Christ. He had no basis for accusation against God's people any longer. He lost his place, Revelation 12, verse 10 says. And so in heaven, because of what Christ has done, and the difference is, is that the devil doesn't have a basis to accuse the people of God any longer. And so Christ judged him. He bound him for a thousand years. He threw the demons out of heaven so that they don't have access to God's throne in the same way any longer. It's in Colossians 2 verse 15. It says that he disarmed the rulers and authorities and he put them to open shame by triumphing over them. And that's really working with the thought that we, we sang together from Psalm 68. When he ascended into heaven, then he led captives in his train. And that's really what Colossians 2 is talking about. He's defeated the devil. He defeated his demons. All those who are opposed to him, they've come to nothing. They're bound in chains. And they don't have the ability to exercise their authority in the same way. And then what Christ will also do, it's not just that he, he binds the spiritual force of darkness, but he also acts in judgment against those who hate and reject him. You, know, you read the stories of the Old Testament, and when people give themselves over to sin, especially when they do that for generation after generation after generation, then the Lord exercises judgment against them. It's his glory. The result is that there's this profound suffering, there's this destruction of the enemies of God's people. 
Well, God says in the last days, he says he's going to do the same thing. He's the king. And he exercises judgment. Psalm 7 says, actually, that he exercises his wrath every day. When God looks down on this world, then he sees the evil that happens. And every day, he exercises judgment against that. And in the book of Revelation, God tells us a little bit about what that really means. It talks about in these last days, in the time in which we're living. And it says during these last days that he's going to bring down his wrath against those who reject him. It talks there about, in Revelation 6 verse 4, for example, about a red horse who will take peace from the earth so that men slay each other. In Revelation 6 verse 5, it talks about a black horse who brings famine. In verse 7, it talks about a pale horse named Death. He's given authority to kill a fourth of the earth by sword, famine, pestilence, and wild animals. Well, we live in a society, we live in, in a time where many people have completely rejected God, brothers and sisters. One of the themes is that the Lord is merciful and gracious, he's slow to anger, and he's abounding in steadfast love. But it finishes off by saying that he will not let the guilty go unpunished. But he will punish them according to the sins that they've committed. Well, real life, if you, if you think about that real life here in Australia, one in four pregnancies ends in abortion. We have 8,000 people a year. We have 100,000 people here in WA or 100,000 people a year here in Australia that are murdered every year by their own mothers. And you put that over 20 years, you're talking about millions of people who've been murdered. A year ago, as of two days ago, here in WA, we introduced this voluntary assisted dying. If you want, you can go to your doctor and your doctor will put your life to an end. Well, the past year, we've had 171 people here in WA who've been murdered by their doctors. Well, the blood cries out from the ground, brothers and sisters. That's what Scripture says. And God will act in judgment. If you don't repent of your sin, if you don't confess what you've done wrong, if you don't ask for forgiveness, the Lord will act in judgment. We live in a society where it's normal to commit sexual immorality, where greed and covetousness are the heartbeat of everybody's thoughts. Well, the Lord acts in judgment. You have these false gods. You reject him. You hate him. You live in rebellion against him. You commit evil against other people. You exploit and you oppress. You mistreat others. The Lord says, the time comes where I, where I will judge. I will show my glory. And I will punish those who hate me and reject me and rebel against me. But the comfort is that those people who are in the middle of that, who humble themselves and who seek Jesus Christ as their Savior, who confess their sins to him, will be cleansed by his blood. It's one of the great things that Christ does through his ascension. The Bible tells us that Christ has become our advocate. He's your lawyer. He 
Be seated at the right hand of God to plead your case. It's the language of Romans 8, verse 34. He is interceding for us at the right hand of his Father. We just read together from, from 1 John. In 1 John, chapter 1, it talks about how we, if we confess our sins, then he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But it says if we're not willing to confess our sins, if we say we have not sinned, then we call him a liar. And then his word has no place in us. And then John continues, and he says, My children, my little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins. We have an advocate, an intercessor. It used to be that Satan had access to God's throne to accuse the people of God. He used to go up into heaven. We have a story in, in the Old Testament, in Zechariah, Zechariah 3. You have the story of the high priest at that time. His name was Joshua. And Zechariah has a vision of Joshua, and it says that he's clothed in these dirty, these filthy garments. All his sins. He's stained with all these sins. And Satan's standing there at the right hand of God, and he says, God, do you see that? Do you see what he did here? And do you see how he sinned there? And do you see what he did wrong over there? And there's no way that he can intercede for the people, God. He's done all these terrible things. Well, now the scripture says that Satan's thrown out. He lost his place. On the blood of the Lamb, on the basis of the blood of the Lamb, he's lost his place in heaven. He has no basis for an accusation against the people of God. When God is seated on the throne, then instead of hearing these accusations, then he hears his son who intercedes. He pleads your case. And he doesn't say, Lord, give him a break and show him mercy because look at all the good things he's done. He's not only sinned here and there, but he's also done this right, and you know, he's so faithful in that, and he's so kind and caring, compassionate, loving. Now, the basis is his own blood. He's covered your sins. They overcame him by the blood of the Lamb, it says in Revelation 12. All your sins are covered. There is no accusation. There's no case against you. Satan can't say that you've sinned, because if you believe in the Lord Jesus, then all your sins are washed away. Then you are clothed with the white robes of Christ's righteousness. And so when God looks at you, then he sees you dressed in white. And there's nothing against you. And then the intercessor, he's standing there on your behalf. And he pleads with the Father that the Father show you mercy for his sake. Not sure if you've ever been in a court of law. That's the, the context here. But for most of us, I think it's really intimidating to go to court. You don't know the rules. You don't know when to talk. You don't know what to say. You don't know how it's all supposed to go. And it's just really comforting to have a lawyer with you. You have somebody who's going to plead your case. Somebody who's going to speak up on your behalf. Somebody who's going to tell the judge what you actually did and, and set it right for you. Well, if you have Christ as your advocate, if you have Christ as your intercessor, you literally have the best lawyer you could ever ask for. 
He's paid the price for you. He's covered your sins. There's literally no case against you because he's already set it right for you. That's one of the great gifts of the ascension of, of Jesus Christ, brothers and sisters. You get to share in his glory because he covers all your sins and he intercedes for you on God's behalf, on God's behalf for you. And then he also does a few other things. Another thing he does is he sends down his spirit into your heart. Christ wants you to share in his glory, brothers and sisters. But the Bible says that the only way you share the glory is by sharing the suffering. It's in Romans 8, 17. We're told there that we are heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may be glorified with him. The way to glory is through suffering. Philippians 2, Christ was humiliated before he was exalted. The way up is down. It's only if you're willing to suffer for your Lord that you will also be glorified together with him. Well, who's willing to suffer? Who chooses that? You know, in our society, suffering is the greatest evil. No one's willing to suffer. The moment people have to suffer a little bit, then they say, I'm not doing that. I'm out of here. This is not for me. But Christ equips his people. If you think of the Beatitudes, Christ tells us what the kingdom life is really all about. He says they are blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. Well, are you poor in spirit, brothers and sisters? Are you mourning? Are you meek? Someone who's deeply humble? Are you a person who hungers and thirsts after righteousness when there's evil done, that you hate it, that you flee away from from participating in any kind of evil? You never want to take advantage of anyone. You never want to be involved in anything that's unjust against another person because you hunger and you thirst after righteousness. God says, blessed are the merciful, blessed are the pure in heart, blessed are the peacemakers, And blessed are those who are persecuted for Christ's sake. Well, are you merciful? Are you a peacemaker? Are you someone who's willing to be persecuted for the sake of your Lord? Now, that's not who we are by nature. It goes against our nature. We don't want to be the least. We don't want to suffer. We don't want to endure hardship. Everything inside of us rebels against that and resists that. And because that's our nature, then the Lord says, well, I need to help you with that. And so your ascended Lord, he says, I want to bring you into glory. I want you to share my glory. And so the way I'm going to do that is I'm going to pour my spirit into your heart. And I'm going to equip you and enable you to live the kind of life that I did. It's through the power of his Holy Spirit that Jesus Christ lives in our hearts 
and he enables us to live a life of humility and of submission. He works in our hearts so that we're deeply committed to our Savior, that we're willing to suffer and to walk as he did and to share in his humiliation. Well, if you do that, do you know where it leads to, brothers and sisters? It leads to glory. To glory for your Lord, because you testify to who he is, because you give an example, a living example of who he is, you show his power in your life, and it leads to your glory. Because when you live the kind of life that he lived, then you get to share in the glory that he has. It's in John 17, verse 24, that Christ, he pleaded with his Father that God would bring us up into glory, that God would allow us to share for all eternity the glory that he has. Christ prayed, Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am, to see my glory that you have given to me, because you loved me before the foundation of the world. I desire them to be with me. I desire them to see my glory. I desire them to share in my glory. And so we praise to the Father that the Father would, would bring his people together, that they would live in the unity that comes through the Holy Spirit so that they may experience the glory of their Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Well, that's one of the great promises that Christ gave through his ascension, brothers and sisters. He says, I want to assure you that one day you will share in my glory. And the way I assure you is by, by taking a human body up into heaven. Today there is one body, is one human being up in heaven. That is Jesus Christ. When we die, then our body goes down into the earth. It returns to dust, it decomposes. But Christ's body was already glorified. And it's a foretaste, it's a foreshadowing of the glory that's coming. One day, your body is going to be glorified. You're going to rise from the dust. You're going to receive this new body. You're going to go up into heaven to share in the glory of your maker. And that's Christ's whole intention. He wants to make you into a new person. He wants you to share his suffering so that you share his glory. That you get to come into the new world and that you get to live in this place where there is no more sin. And there is no more evil. There is no more suffering. There's no more dishonor or shame. But then you get to see God for who he is. You get to live with him face to face. You get to experience his presence in your life. And you get to join with all his people in glorifying him for who he is. Well, Christ ascended to secure it for you, brothers and sisters. He's a glorious God. And he wants you to share in that glory. And so he came to this earth. He suffered and died. But then he rose again and he ascended. And he's living at the right hand of his father in glory. And he promises to bring you up there with him. You know, when we get there, the greatest thing that's going to stand out for us is the extent of his love for us. When you see him face to face, you're going to see what he's done for you. You're going to see how much he was willing to suffer for you. You're going to see how much he loves you. What stands at the heart of the glory of the new world. The world will be filled with the love of God. And we, the people of God, will see that, will experience that, will share in that. Our hearts will be filled with love for God as he has loved us. 
It's in that context that we get to live for all eternity in a world where, where we join our voices together and we praise and we honor and we glorify the Lord for who he is and what he's done. Amen. Well, let's sing and let's praise our Lord for the, for the ascension, his ascension to heaven. Hymn 40, the verses 1, 2, and 3. Let's now pray to the Lord. And in our prayer this afternoon, we'll also remember our brother Yitz to Hope. Our brother is scheduled to receive some radiation for his cancer in the next few weeks. So we'll ask God for a blessing over those treatments. Let us pray. <clears throat> Almighty God and Father in heaven, we honor you, Lord, that you sent your Son, Jesus Christ, into this world, and that Christ was willing to humble himself, to become a human being and to suffer and die on our behalf. We thank you that you're willing to pour out your wrath against all our sins on your own son, Jesus Christ. It was the ultimate humiliation for him, and Christ willingly bore that out of love for us and out of love for you. And we thank you, Father, that you honored your son for doing so, that you raised him to new life, that he ascended into heaven, that you gave him a seat at your right hand with power and authority, with glory and honor, that he is the King of kings and that he is the Lord of lords. Jesus Christ, we honor you for the work that you have accomplished 
in securing our salvation, in rescuing us from our sins, and in bringing us to glory. We thank you, Father, that you've poured out your Holy Spirit into our hearts so that we can be recreated into the image of Jesus Christ. After forgiving our sins, you desire us to live as he did, and you equip us to do so through the power of your Spirit. We pray then, Lord, that you would work this out in our lives, that we may be those who are willing to suffer on your behalf, that we're willing to walk the journey that you call us to walk, and that we do that in humble submission before you. Please work in our hearts, Lord, that we know you, that we understand what you've done for us. And as we understand and know you, Lord, then, then please help us to honor you and to glorify you, to praise you, to sing to you, to show you how much we love you, and to tell everybody else about you. Grant, Lord, that you have great weight in our thinking, that the greatest thing in the world for us is knowing you and being with you, is loving you and honoring you. Please help us with this with your Holy Spirit. The sad reality, Lord, is, is that so often, so many other things, they take our time and attention. We so often, we live our life without thinking of you. We do things by our own strength, and oftentimes we do it for our own glory. And it shows how little we know you, Lord. It shows the hardness of our hearts. Please be merciful, and please forgive us, and please change us. Please reveal yourself to us. Thank you especially for the immense gift of your word. Thank you also for the proclamation of the gospel, that we can hear who Christ is and what Christ has done. Please give us the time, give us wisdom, Lord, to, to take time to reflect on these things, that we may turn your word over in our minds, that we, we grow in, in love and understanding of who you are and what you've done for us. Lord, thank you that you have the power to bring us to glory. We celebrate that you took our brother Huvink into glory, that you took him out of this world, and that, that he's together with the rest of your saints. His soul is also under the altar. Lord, we praise you that that he's able to, to see you and to know you, that he's come to be with Jesus Christ, and that he, he understands what that means. We pray, Lord, that you please also take care of his family that are left behind here. Be with his wife, our sister, Huzinga. Please also be with the children and grandchildren, also with the rest of the family members, especially when they have to bury his body, Father. Please give them comfort and please surround them with with your nearness. Please strengthen them and please grant that that they may be strengthened with the promises of the gospel, that they may trust the, the promise of the resurrection and of the life everlasting. Lord, we're grateful for the faith that you've given to them. We're grateful for the, for the peace that they have in their hearts and the contentment that they have in their lives. What a gift that you have, have given this to them. And we pray, Lord, that you would also be near to them as as they, they come to grips with his loss. And then, Father, we also wish to ask you that you please help the rest of us in all the different circumstances of our lives, that we give glory to you. Pray, Lord, that you would strengthen us when we suffer. Many times we suffer because of the brokenness of this world, because of people who sin against us, because of the difficulties that we face in a world that's, that's marred with sin. Father, strengthen us in the midst of that. Help us to endure it and help us to do so with patience, and with grace, and with a spirit of contentment in our hearts. Father, thank you that, that we may have the more important gifts, that we have the, the gift of a covenant relationship with you, 
that we are secured, your love towards us, and that nothing can separate us from that love. Please then also help us to endure. I think especially of our brother to hope he's going to receive treatments for the next few weeks for his cancer. We ask, Lord, that you bless these treatments, that that may go well. Please also grant our brother endurance through this time. Please be near to him and, and help him also with the changes in his life, that he's, he's moving into Fairhaven. Please grant, Lord, that that the process can happen, that may be a blessing for him, and that it goes well for him. Also pray for the many other senior members of our congregation, Lord. So many of them face the breakdown of the body. They face a lot of ailments, sometimes a lot of pain. Sometimes they, they have to contend with some of their, their faculties not working properly. They can't hear, or they can't see properly. Sometimes they, they get infections easily. They have to deal with, with the breakdown in different ways. Lord, grant that, that they can endure that in faith and please sustain them through that. We also pray, Father, that you be near to others who are grieving the loss of loved ones, that you would please comfort them as well and, and strengthen them during this time, help them to remember the promises and help them to walk through the grief and to come to, come to grips with that. Father, we also pray that you would please bless those who, who have holidays in the coming weeks. We're so thankful for, for the gift of, of rest and refreshment. I think especially of the teachers, Lord, and the students, please grant that they may use this time as a time of rec recreation, as a time of, of refreshment, rejuvenation. Please grant that you would bless this time and that they may have new energy and new strength for the new term that lies before us. But we also pray that you would please bless the work that we do. So many men in our congregation are involved in the construction industry. So much work to do. It's really a busy time. There's a lot of pressure in a lot of different ways. We pray that you would bless that work and that it may go well. Please be with the men who, who are employers. Give them wisdom in running their businesses, that they can do it in a good way that honors you. And please also be with those who are employees, that they can also do their work faithfully in a way that, that honors you. And that's, that's also good for, for themselves and for the business. Lord, we thank you for this gift of, of work. We thank you for the blessing that you give through it. We pray for your blessing upon it. We also ask, Father, that you would please bless us in our relationships. Pray, Father, that you would give us a rich measure of your Holy Spirit. Grant that, that we're able to have unity and to have peace. It was one of the great things that Christ prayed for in his high priestly prayer. And we ask, Father, that you would bring that to pass, that we may be sanctified by the truth, that we may walk in truth. And as we do so, Lord, that we may experience unity with you and with each other. Grant that the closer we draw to you, that the closer we also draw to each other. And we pray, Lord, that you'd fill our hearts with love for one another. Thank you for the gift of the communion of the saints. Thank you for, for allowing us to love each other and help us to do it well. Father, we ask that you would please bless us in the rest of this day. Please accept the thank offerings that we bring to you. And please hear our prayer. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen. So, brothers and sisters, this afternoon the collection will be taken for the South African needy churches. Then after the collection, we'll sing the final two verses of hymn 40, hymn 40, verses 4 and 5.
Receive now the blessing of God. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen.